Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Before we get going on today's show, I want to invite you to come along to our annual Culture and Leadership Conference. So it's happening this August in Melbourne uh, on the 29th, and then in Sydney on the 5th of September. We've also got a conference in New Zealand, so it's in Christchurch on the 9th of September, Auckland on the 10th, and Wellington on the 11th. Got tons of great speakers, and it would be awesome to have you come along. There'll be a link to both of those conferences in the notes of the show, so check it out. All right, with that said, let's get into today's show. This week on the show, I'm joined by Fiona Hogarth from one of our Melbourne consultants. Hey, Fiona. Hey, Dom. Second, Good to be back. Second time on uh, Culture Bites. I'm an old hand now. Yeah, yeah. Professional. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. And speaking of uh, professionals, we want to talk today about culture and high-performance sports. So we've got Jed Campbell on the line from our New Zealand Human Synergistics office. Jed, are you there? G'day, Dom. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, great. Thank you. Nice and sunny down here in Auckland. So oh, nice. Good. Love it. <laughs> it's, uh, maybe it's warmer than here. It's bloody freezing here. Um, and I want to get you on the line for this topic, Jed, because I know you've got a bit of a, a background in high performance sport and stuff, you know, before, and I guess continuing your time with human synergistics. Can you talk us through that a bit? Yeah. So, um, I was a role of, um, for Auckland region and this is where I met my partner, Kelsey Bevan, who's, um, in the women's rowing eight. And, uh, so she's heavily involved in that system. So I see that through her eyes but then I'm also on the board of Auckland Rowing and have an involvement in the Auckland Rowing Performance Centre which is the arm of Rowing New Zealand in Auckland so I'm, I'm, I'm seeing uh, yeah from a board level and from an athlete perspective and then um, I'm also involved as a volunteer at Westlake Boys High School. Cool and, yeah. and what are you doing there for them? Is that around coaching or? Yeah yep so I just coach two or three times a week there and uh the program's pretty incredible. We're, we're lucky enough to have our president of the club is um, Mike Stanley, who is also the president of the New Zealand Olympic Committee, so wow. quite a leader. That's yeah. that, that's a pretty good school program to have, isn't it? Thanks very much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. You, just just as a technicality from a row, are you early morning rowers or they, or is it an afternoon thing for in Auckland, the so rowing training? Yeah, in- generally uh, early mornings. Yeah. We do some afternoon stuff as well. Like these athletes train pretty bloody hard. Oh, We're doing sure. 10 sessions plus a week in the peak of the season. So, it's, yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah. So some yeah. early starts for Jed. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm a swimmer, but rowers get up even earlier. So, you know. Well, <laughs> I have empathy for swimmers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at least as a rower, you're not in the water. <laughs> <laughs> you got to rug up. The water's warm in winter, though. That's the thing, you know. Anyway, so Jed, what I, what we want to chat to you today is you know, there's a lot of staff and people are very interested in culture and sport in particular. And so, I guess what would be interesting for me is to start off at the kind of system level, the overall level, and you know, what does the governing bodies, the sports bodies, what is their role from your point of view in setting the culture of the organization, of, of the sport in general, what role do they play? Well, you know, Dom, the complexity of culture is so interesting uh, because we're influencing society as uh, sports people, in my view. And so Nelson Mandela 
said that sport has the power to change the world. And I truly believe that because people learn through doing and mm. uh, sport in high school in particular in New Zealand teaches people life lessons that they then carry on and, and deliver throughout society. So mm. that's the responsibility of the governing body of sport in New Zealand that is Sport New Zealand, but it is then heavily influenced by High Performance Sport New Zealand, mm. which is the high-performance arm, but it is the arm that a lot of coaches look towards to cr- progress their career. So if you understand human synergistics language, it's a selection and a training component, and it also sets the espoused direction and vision for the organization. Okay, so... We're talking about causal factors there around around culture. So, you know, and that's the the messages I guess they're sending through, you know, who do they select? Who does get the training? Sends a message about, you know, who gets ahead in this organization. Absolutely. And so we discussed before the podcast the way to win. And mm. so I think uh, at the moment winning is being promoted. And so when the organization, High Performance Sport New Zealand, for instance, has a mission that is built around winning on the world stage, people see that and they think winning is what we value around here, so I'm going to go and win. And then they don't understand the way to win. And the way to win is crucially important to the experience that athletes have within sport. And so that's what I'm so interested and passionate about working to shape. Yeah. But Jed, don't we want to win? Isn't that the point <laughs> of sport? I want the prize. Of yeah. 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 But don't, not like, everyone can be a winner, right? And uh, I think the challenge in having conversations about winning is that not everyone can be a winner, but everyone can have excellence embedded in the way they behave and the way they perform. So winning is an outcome of excellence, and that really is winning is can be limiting in that sense. Because yeah, <laughs> it's a yeah, it's an interesting uh, an interesting thing winning. Yeah, because what is winning? And um, as I mentioned, I, I swim, and I was you know at a pool recently, and there was a sign up that said, "Remember, parents, medals are good, but PBs are better." because it's the personal best. So it's the winning for self rather than, you know, getting the actual first prize and the glory. And, you know, I took that and I read it and I went, yeah, and I compete at Masters Games. And I go, yeah, I love it when, a med- when I win a medal. It's great. But I actually prefer it when I do it by fast time. Mm. So that individual self-achievement piece. So, yeah, that's a, it's a, it's, yeah, which, is, which speaks to the excellence. You know, I can be excellent and I may not come first. And I, I think that just on that point as well is the the excellence piece is intrinsic mm. as well. So people are then driven to perform to their best, and what their best is is perceived by them, not okay. not what is uh, forced on them by others. Correct. And yeah, so which is a really another really interesting conversation. Mm. 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 Yeah. So people listening to this, I'm sure, would push back and say, "Yeah, but you know, personal best." That's great. But especially at the elite level, mm. at the professional sport level or, or the Olympic level or something like that, we're here for the gold. Well, we want to win. The societal pressure around the gold. So but so is is I guess the competitive way, is that the the only way? Is that the best way 
to get the gold? You know, the way to go about getting a gold is developing the will to win. And Mm. that doesn't come from focusing on outcome. It comes from thinking about cause and effect. So what are the causes of winning? And I I was lucky enough to interview Rob Waddell for, um, who's a double Olympic champion and Uh and, uh, America's Cup sailor for human synergistics at the conference. And what he said around process versus outcome, it's preached in sport a lot, but very few people understand Mm. um, that mentality. It's cause and effect. What causes us to win? How do we focus on those causes and remain so dedicated to those causes that winning just happens? Mm. And uh, Rob talking about his Olympic gold in Sydney, he was thinking about feathering the blade, which is just how you turn the blade and put it into the water. Mm. And when you're at that level and you're thinking about something as basic as putting the blade in the water, it sings home about um, the, the cause and effect thinking that's going on at that high level. And it, it's yeah. often about that, that mastery, right? So he's mastering the art of you know, the, the rowing stroke in, in that case. And actually, when, when you mentioned that, it reminds me of an interview we did here a while ago with Darren Lockyer a few years ago, who talked about the exact same thing. He said, you know, especially the advice he gives to young guys in the team and stuff, because they're often pretty nervous standing there before kickoff. And it's like, forget about the result, right? Forget about the results. Focus on what you're going to do in the next set of six or what you're going to do in this next play. And that winning the game is during the week, right? It's how you prepare for the game. Are you putting in the work? Are you practicing, you know, the things you need to do? And if you do all that stuff right, the result will take care of itself. So, yeah, t- absolutely. And mindfulness is becoming such a, a big word or term in society. And I think that's what it's speaking to is that can you stay remaining in the moment uh, focused on the process of excellence and being the best that you can be? And while all the outcomes in society are, are so prevalent, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so we talked about that's kind of the. I guess tone from the top. So you know, they talked about winning on the world stage and stuff. What what do you think is a maybe a different tone to take that would speak more to achievement rather than competitive? Um, yeah, goal setting, for instance. Uh, if you break down goal setting, setting goals around the process or mm. goals around what causes an outcome mm. are really important, mm. and helping young athletes in particular to understand that cause and effect and Mm. how they set goals drives that thinking. Mm. So um, I think that's where goal setting is so important to that. And when athletes stand that, they get very intrinsically motivated by that and that flows on to other areas of their life as well. Mm. So yeah, I'd start with goal setting for junior athletes. That's what I do at Westlake. And, you know, I think that's actually the beautiful thing about sport. You know, you talked earlier about how we learn all these lessons from sport, particularly in high school and stuff. And I, I think that is a, um, a beautiful one that I relate to is, you know, say something like running. And so I'm certainly not an elite level for running, but, uh, but, really? I, but I do enjoy <laughs> I do enjoy run. And the, the great thing about that is that whole my effort makes a difference yep. because the first run you go for, you know, you're, you're slow, you're winded, you, you know, it's um, painful. But the more you do it, right, and this is the mastery piece, the faster you get, the further you can go, whatever it is. And so you see that um, that incremental improvement, right? If 
if you stick with it and you you work on you know different parts of it, you get better and better, and you start setting the personal best and so on. And now I'm never going to be in the Olympics for uh for, for my running, but but I can improve on my own times and so on, right? And, and get better. City to serve, absolutely. Doing and, the city and, to and serve. You learn to be resilient in doing so, and then you're able to take that resilience across into your job when you move into a career, and, and that's what sports is teaching athletes from high school and and uh, even younger ages. So I love that. Jed, what if we break it down? So take it down a level. So we talked about the overall sporting body, but I guess where most people, if we're talking about, you know, people's personal experience of sport and lessons, it's more at that level of, I guess, it's the coach who's influencing them, you know, in that environment at at the sort of more direct level, I suppose. So what's going on there in, in elite sport and what could we maybe be thinking about differently? Yeah, so that sort of speaks to the structures again, but um, your high-performance sport in New Zealand is promoting winning on the world stage and then promoting coaches that continuously win. And Mm. so the perception is, or the culture that develops, is that people believe winning is how you achieve success in our sport. And so... They go out and there's plenty of ways to win. One of them is to train harder, train more, and professional coaches are pushing athletes to the point where there were some ACC stats uh, raised recently that showed injuries were up some ridiculous number. So I can't remember what it was exactly, but 40-something percent. And um, those sort of statistics are created by the culture that, leadership in our environment is creating currently so how do we counteract some of those and I believe it starts with coaching and helping coaches understand what is a constructive way to go about winning and how do we win the way of winning so yeah Mm. and so how can we help coaches then I think language is crucially important so helping them understand that language that lies behind the circumplex in the constructive space the neuro- neuroscience, I, I think, uh, links to the desire for satisfaction needs mm. drives more effective behavior because our brains function more effectively. Mm. So uh, let's think about the neuroscience in sport and mm. how coaches can help athletes' brains function effectively. And uh, that links back to sleep research. There's nutrition and You've got to think about the athlete very holistically, and that is a huge undertaking because a lot of coaches um, aren't educated deeply on some of that stuff when they're volunteering at a school level. Mm. Yeah, just a thing because with rowing, you've got you know you've got your individual you know your single skulls, and then you've got eight. So there's mm. you know and quads and all that sort of stuff. But you know, so there is there a bit from a coaching perspective around you know I've got a coach from an individual perspective, but then I've also got a coach at a team level to get everyone going at the same way. So that real appreciation of understanding what drives the individual, but then how do you get the collective energy from a team perspective? Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the variation there? Absolutely. Some of the best coaches understand uh, fundamentally how to develop culture. Mm. And so the way we interact will help us be more effective as a unit but how we individually behave will drive how we interact as well. And so um, that leadership 
and culture piece, um, one mechanism we use at Westlake Boys is that we have a, a leadership team rather than a captain. Right. And so that leadership team helps in decision-making around selection. So they start understanding how the coaches are going about selection. They start understanding how the program functions as a whole. And that leadership team mechanism that's often used in corporates as well to embed what is uh, an organisational culture. Mm. So that collective around the team and yeah and you know and it's a champion team versus the team of champions component which you know speaks to that competitive versus achievement as well yeah it's a, it's a piece around alignment i think mm. i think people need to be aligned on the direction and vision of the organization but then they need to align the behaviors and thinking styles that they will enact day to day to facilitate that direction and vision mm. And so we're working in a high-performance teams framework here that starts with alignment. Yes, it's quite interesting work at the moment. The, the, next, the next step being commitment and how do you foster an environment that draws out huge amounts of energy but then gives that energy back to the people in it to get them excited about that, again, direction and vision of the organization. Ah. Yeah. Hey, Jed, what about from a coaching point of view, the old spray? <laughs> Doesn't that get people fired up, get them going? What's the old spray? The, uh, maybe that's an Australian term. It's like where you, where you <laughs> chew someone out, where you like yeah. give them a rock up. Um, oh, so so yeah. I think, you know, there's a few Australian uh, rugby coaches who are fairly famous for uh, spraying the team at halftime when they're, you know, down or whatever. Do, you know, do, I, I, try that, to, I try not to spray people too often. <laughs> <laughs> how, how does it help yeah, telling them how bad they are and, you know, that they need to buck up and just get on with it and those sorts of things rather than uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah. being supportive I, I and encouraging? Yeah, I think to a defensive mindset. Mm. And, mm. and if you look to the neuroscience again, putting people in a position of uh, defensiveness mm. doesn't help their brain function. Mm. And so as a coach, what are you there to do? Uh, you're there to support your athletes to help them grow to be the best that they can be, mm. then support them um, to be as uh, satisfied as possible in everything that they do rather than defensive. So I, I would very rarely spray. <laughs> Which is interesting because, you know, if you've got that defensive mindset, it's more about not losing actually rather than winning or performing yeah. per se, right? It's, you know, in, in like a rugby context, it's don't drop the ball rather than you know, make a positive mistake perhaps because there's a there's a try on if if we can get this last pass, you know, and, and as a coach you'd want the player to, you know, if you think it's gonna work, go for it, right? Mm. Don't uh hold it when when, you know, there's a positive chance, positive intent. Obviously don't yeah. just drop the ball. But yeah, but it's also then knowing that well, the, you know well, that you've got your team around you to support you so that yeah. if you throw it, that someone's gonna be there to catch it. That's true. Mm. Absolutely, but the, and the brain doesn't process the don't part mm. in that sentence. It only processes the part that you're thinking about, and the brain thinking precedes behavior, so you end up dropping the ball. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, don't drop the ball. Yeah, drop <laughs> the ball. <laughs> that's right, well, because you're, you're panicked. And I wonder, like, the old spray, it might work really, right? If, if, you, if the coach uses it really when the team really aren't performing and they're not playing up to their level. But if you're... If you're doing it every week, it quickly loses its effect, you know, because it's like, wow, here we go again. You know, Jed's always giving us the spray. Yeah, that speaks to the competitive style, right? And particularly the red 
side of the mm. circumplex is it's very short-term focused and it's mm. uh, results now orientated. Let's mm. get this task done. And you can't use that too often because it just, uh, yeah, like we've talked about it, it becomes too spray. <laughs> People just ignore it. You know, they don't hear it and they don't take any message. So they then sort of step into some so of the passive behaviours and go, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, so they're not inspired to bring their best after that. Mm. Yeah. And, and what else, Jed? If we keep breaking it down, what, what is there on like a, even a, a player level or an or a audience level, a spectator level for the rest of us? Yeah, again, I keep going high level with it, but what I see is that parents see what is valued in the system. And so mm. when winning is valued in the system, parents want their athletes to win. And mm. so when they're not winning, they get very defensive about that. And so I've seen programs fall apart and, and rowing in particular that has been the fundamental breakdown. My little Jimmy or little Janie hasn't been succeeding to my expectations. And so I'm going to attack the coach. I'm going to attack the, the school. And uh, the program falls apart from the inside out. So it is crucially important that parents are brought into the direction and vision of the organization as well. And that alignment piece doesn't only focus on the athlete, but it focuses on the parents because the parents are a key stakeholder of the organization that you're developing. And and so what I'm hearing from you, Jed, as well, is that, you know, hardcore competitive drive to win actually has the opposite effect. And so we're actually winning less. Oh, you you might win when you spray someone for one or two sessions, you might go a little bit faster, but across the season, it's not going to help. Yeah, so you can win the game but not the championship or win the meet but not the... Yeah, yeah, classic saying, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. And I think, you know, it's interesting with parents. I think it's kind of notorious uh, parents on the sideline of even young kids' games, you know, where, you know, let's be honest, it doesn't matter so much, but they get like, I guess they're living out their fantasies of, you know, they could have been a uh, professional been athlete a or something and they're living it out through their kid. What do you think? <laughs> I, I like that, but uh, I, I live vicariously through my girlfriend, uh, right? Uh, <laughs> and I'm wondering, though, um, you know, Jed, from your experience, in terms of for the individual athlete, you know, how do they, and what's the focus for them in terms mm. of, oh, yeah, well, I want to win, but how do I, you know, how do I do that? So, you know, and at that elite level, it's you know because you are. I mean, that's that's your life. That's your job. How yeah, how do people stay focused on that and the role of the coach in sort of providing support and you know and the, I guess the resilience piece for when it's not going so well for them. Yeah, you talked to focus again. So I think it is about focusing on the things that are going to help you win, right? Not focusing on winning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so our attention is limited. And there are countless studies that show that people are hopeless at multitasking. And so (laughs) when you put your attention on the outcome, Mm. you inhibit the outcome by not focusing on the process Mm. to achieve Mm. the outcome. Mm. And so when you can focus on the cause of the effect, you're more able to achieve. Mm. And so that when the system is created to focus people on winning, we focus on winning, mm. but those elite athletes that do succeed on the world stage can fully understand and fully appreciate that level of focus that yeah. is required on the process 
Mm. Yeah. I love that. So, and that's that mastery part. So if you focus on the process, focus on, you know, the, the causes. So doing, doing what we do well, the result will take care of itself and, and we'll actually be more successful doing that rather than getting fixated on the end goal and, and forgetting all the steps in between. Mm. Love it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I guess that's the main role of an effective coach is helping the athlete prioritize what it is that they can and should be focusing on. Mm. And uh, I think that uh, a lot of coaches don't understand what it takes to be the best in the world. And the research is beginning to raise the awareness that character and behaviors are crucially important to success on the world stage. Uh, so I think we'll see more and more of coaches focusing on the way we win rather than focusing on the winning itself. Uh, I love that. And yeah. and actually, just as as we sign off, it reminds me, because we've, we've got a coach simulation, which is really all around achievement motivation is really what it's based around. And I love it because it, it's, pretty, it's pretty open. You can make lots of choices about how do you set up the team how do you motivate people what's the goal and stuff like that it's all relates it back to the circumplex and you know are we do is your values around motivating people through an achievement lens or is it a, a competitive or, or mm. other type lens so it's a great great one um, for people to to use and, and get into as well absolutely that's what i love about the human synergistics tools is they provide you a lens through which to see the world from a constructive perspective and if you're able to use them, they really do make a difference. Mm. So it's quite exciting. Love it. I think that's a great note to end on. Yeah. Thanks for your time, Jed. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jed. Thanks, Dom. Thanks, right, Anna. Nice See All ya. Right. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.